Hi guys, good afternoon. Uh, this is your lovely host, Anna. Uh, welcome to My Two Cents, Sense and Change. Today's episode is going to be very, very, very cool. Like, honestly, you guys don't know how pumped I am right now. So um, today's special guest is like no ordinary special guest. Like he, I feel honored calling him my friend. And he honestly, like by the time I'm done reading like his biography, you guys are probably like, wait, what? Like, this guy's cool. I want to hear his story. So let me just get to it right now. My guest today is Ray Negron. And maybe if you're some Yankee fan out there, maybe this the name sounds familiar. But here, here you go. Mr. Negron has been part of the New York Yankees uh, ever since he's like been 16 years old. So all that journey, I'll let Ray speak on that on his own. Um, so under the late, great George Steinbrenner, as his mentor, Ray became part of the New York Yankees team as the Bat Boy, thus building friendships with baseball greats like Billy Martin, Reggie Jackson, and Thurman Munson. I mean, how cool is that? Since then, Ray has been continuing on Mr. Steinbrenner's legacy as being the community consultant for the New York Yankees. Now, let's be real. He is truly, truly a jack of all trades. He is even the founder of Hank's Yanks, which is a nonprofit competitive youth travel baseball team for underprivileged kids. And he is also an author, film producer, associate producer, and actor. He is even a member of the International Latino Hall of Fame and the Ted Williams Hall of Fame. I mean, how much of an introduction do I really need to give? So please, everyone, let's welcome Mr. Ray Negron to our podcast. Oh, Mr. Ray Negron is in the building. Like, how's it going? I'm doing fine. Nice to be on with you. Thank well, you th for actually accepting. <laughs> No, thank you for having me. So I like mentioned so much of like your history with the Yankees, how you started off um, at the age of 16 working with them, like even having a friendship with George Steinbrenner. But I didn't necessarily explain the journey because obviously it's not you know, my role to say it, because I think it would sound better from the person that lived it. So how is it that you even like, how is it that you even ended up working with the Yankees? Uh, 1973, I was outside Yankee Stadium one day. And um, I was there with a few other guys. And uh, I guess you could say that their main purpose was to get some graffiti put up on the wall. And so we started doing that. And then all of a sudden a car raced up on the sidewalk. A couple of guys got out, everybody 
started running and I was the one that was caught and I was caught, put in a holding cell and they were getting ready to take me over to the uh, 44th precinct, which was right down the road. So before the, that the car got there, uh, all of a sudden the guy came, they caught me, came back, said, give me the kid. He took me to the Yankee locker room. And next thing you know, they're giving me a uniform. And the uh, guy said that I was gonna work off the damages by being the Yankee bat boy that night. And the guy was George Steinbrenner. And that was the start of this journey. That's incredible. I mean, like, I don't think any other human being will like do something uh, in that kind nature if somebody is like damaging property and then all of a sudden, like, you know, take them under his wing. Like, well, like I told a, a, a kid at a school once I was speaking at the school and this and this kid said, well, all the, so you're telling me all I have to do is just buy a can of spray paint. And I said, no, 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 don't you do that because there are no, there's nobody like George Steinbrenner around. So you're going to end up in jail. Right. I hear you. Um, so what would you, like, how would you describe the position of being a bat boy to, let's say, um, people that aren't knowledgeable in baseball, such as myself? Like no, I say, that, like I say, a, the Yankees are my favorite team, but I don't know what consists of many positions. No, that's uh, every team has bad boys. And the, oh, that's just to help the players uh, before the game and during the game, you know, and before the game, you just help around the clubhouse. Uh, you clean up that kind of stuff. And then during the game, you, you pick up the bats and, and you pick up the balls and things to that effect. And when the game is over, you pick up the, the dirty underwears and you pick up uh, everything else and you help clean up and, and uh, you help with the food and all that kind of stuff. And that's what a bad boy does. And uh, I always say that being a uh, the Yankee bad boy was the, was the greatest job that I ever had. And I would, and I would take it right now. That's, that's literally like, so fascinating because like not many people would would describe that type of job as you know being something so enthusiastic about but then again like I haven't met anyone else who's also who's been a bat boy for so long anybody that's ever done it will tell you the same thing you know what I'm saying and anyone that's ever done it especially with the Yankees will say that it's the best job they ever had and you don't and, and anyone that's ever done it would say, essentially speaking, that they would do it for free, you know? And, uh, and that's the truth, you know? Uh, cause I, I would still, Hey, I would still do it for free, you know? Cause it, again, it was like just a, it was a beautiful time. And, uh, it, you know, with the different people, the, the prestigious people, you know, it just, I mean, it's hard to explain what a beautiful time in my life that was. In addition to you, like having this incredible job now that you've like detailed it so beautifully, especially like for some of us who aren't again, knowledgeable in it. Um, you know, it's, 
it's incredible the type of um, skills that one can acquire in any type of uh, profession. Um, one thing that I did notice in reading your biography and giving the introduction is that you, I mentioned that you are truly a whole like jack of all trades. Like you've been bat boy, you're currently the community consultant and you're also like an author, a film producer, associate producer, like you've written books, um, like for instance, The Boy of Steel, which was number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Like what inspired you to even like write this book first? Um, just the different people and the children that, that uh, have taken this journey with me because throughout the years, I would see Mr. Steinbrenner uh, do so much for people and do so much for children. And uh, through the years, I always met these kids and a lot of them, you know, they had cancer and all these different diseases and things like that. But yet they were so strong and so fearless and so wonderful. And uh, and one kid in, in particular uh, gave me one of the greatest examples ever when he said to me, uh, why do you, well, he, two things. First off, he, uh, he, he had cancer and he knew he was going to die. And he was like nine years old, if I remember. And he said to me, do you think that if I do one good thing a day, that I will go to heaven? And I thought that was really, really profound. You know what I'm saying? So I said, uh, naturally, I said, yeah, I, I think so. And uh, he said, good. Then I'm really going to try hard to do one good thing a day, every day. And him saying that really, really inspired me. Because all he wanted was to be able to go know that he was going to go to heaven. Isn't that unbelievable? Oh, my God. That just just hearing that makes me feel inspired to, you know, to really want to do the, a good thing each day. Yeah. Cause sometimes I'm driving home and I say, did I do something good today? And I get to the point where I even, I look to see if, if someone's got a flat tire or any, you know what I'm saying? Cause that's, that's really important to me. I really, that I live my life knowing that I have for that little boy who died six months later, I, I say that I have to do one thing. I have to do it. I have to. I have to find something. I have to, whatever it is. And it, and it has to be, it has to be sufficient. It can't be BS. You know what I'm saying? It has to be sufficient. It has to be that if he's looking at me in heaven, that he's saying, okay, that, that, that works. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know, because then I sometimes I, I say to myself, he was watching and he said, come on, Ray, you could have done better than that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I I completely understand that. And in some way, like I can relate to it, like in the sense that I like since I lost my brother, I often think about that um, point where I'm like, am I doing the right thing today? Like, as if, 
you know, and not even so much as me earning a spot in heaven because that's up to God. Um, but, you know, I know my brother may be saving me a seat or something, but he was always about doing good deeds to others, even though he was never reciprocated on the good deeds, but he was always so willing to be giving and generous and stuff. So I feel like that's been instilled in me. And just hearing the story about this kid, it's like, there's, there's a factor to how we should live each day or how we should perceive each day. And I think it's incredible to just be reminded that um, not only like in our circle, are we, you know, touched by certain people, but it goes beyond into the exterior also. Got it. You seem like you were contemplating that. <laughs> no, you know, I was, you know, honestly speaking, I was looking at a picture of a little boy up on the wall over here and which is the, which is the inspiration to the boy of steel. So that's why I was looking that way. You know, so. Oh, that's, that's cool. Like, um, you know, since this is like Yankee related and everything, um, I think this is probably, I don't know if this is the most common asked question, but like, how, how was it to be amongst, you know, baseball greats like Billy Martin or Reggie Jackson, or even like who you always mention on your social media pages, Thurman Munson, like how, like, walk us through the experience of, like, what it is a day in a bat boy's life and seeing these baseball greats. Um, you know what? Like, in that era, because of where I came from, my family, stuff like that, they became, like, my big brothers, you know what I'm saying? They were, they were like, they knew where I came from. They knew what I had lived. So they were there for me as they acted as my big brothers, Thurman Munson, Reggie Jackson. They acted like they were my big brothers and they, they were uh, very protective of me. Billy Martin treated me like a son and Billy treated, you know, he was extremely protective of me to the point that one day, uh, an employee, a so-called big shot over at the Yankees, uh, was talking crap about me. And uh, Billy Martin found out about it, and he grabbed him out of a, out of a, uh, out of the restaurant that he was in. And he, because he said, "I'm either gonna, I'm either gonna whip your ass in here or outside. So you, make you, it's your choice." Oh my God. <laughs> and so the guy got up and walked out. And when he got out, you know, Billy proceeded to throw him against the wall a couple of times and told him that if he ever did it again, that it was going to be even worse. And the guy said, well, you know, I can call the police. I said, go ahead. But I wonder how long you'll be working for the Yankees. So that was that was that. And the guy never messed with me again. Wow. That. I, I'm speechless right now because that's just incredible. Like, 
would you even like uh, given I guess like you mentioned like your circumstances back then and uh, in those times um it, of course not going too profound um when it comes to life's life challenges and knowing that you have these friendships and even like mentorships or even um people you never expected that you can call family um how do you think that shaped you to be like the person that you are today uh well uh, immense it was huge because like even like when billy did that afterwards he explained to me that he that that wasn't the right thing to do but that's the way he had to do it you know and that he didn't expect that of me you understand like he said don't don't take that as a as an example of what to do because the way i did it wasn't the right way oh my god that he that just sounds like a total like parent thing to say and that's that's inspiring i mean i feel like i can't follow up any other question with that because it's like sometimes we as like myself i aspire to be that type of role model for um young adults even like my students or you know people that i meet so it's just it i feel like their behavior or their mannerisms really stayed with you and it's it's i think it's rather amazing that you're continuing such a such a legacy for on their behalf um even though maybe some of the previous like players are probably still here or are not here but do you feel like in some way that you are continuing on the tradition or the legacy of let's say um uh, Mr. Steinbrenner um let me say that i like to think that i'm trying to live life the way they wanted me to live you know what i'm saying i'm not trying to do anything according to to whatever other than the fact that whatever i learned from that era and from them i'm trying to live accordingly i'm trying to live life as a good person the way i expect the whole world to live period Wow, that that was like inspirational. I'm going to have to like really go back to this video and then write that down and have that as a mantra on my wall. <laughs> I, I I appreciate that. Yeah, um again, it's I think what what I'm trying to get at right now is let's say you come across somebody who probably is on the wrong side of the of society let's say and you know you catch them doing something wrong like would you have the same spirit as Mr. Steinbrenner in wanting to help the 1 million percent and uh you know from that point on always have tried to because you know I I saw what he was always doing. You know, people think that I was the only one. 
I wasn't the only one that he helped. I was one of many, you know, I was one of many that he helped, you know, and you're talking about a guy, George Steinbrenner, who tried to act like he was the toughest guy in the world. He could be, you understand? And he could be, but um, he just, you know, he just was always there, even though, like I said, he was a, even though he could be so tough, he was, he was just a good man. He was just a great person who, like one day, uh, now I remember I lost my train of thought with that call coming in. Um, one day he was walking into the ballpark. This was like within the last 20 years. And uh, he was walking into the ballpark and he was trying to act, you know, he was had his navigator glasses on. And when he was in New York with his navigator glasses on, that meant he was in his general MacArthur mode. And he was acting like a tough guy and all that. And we're walking into the park and there was this little boy with one leg. And uh, he was nine, nine or 10, this little boy. His name is Alex Garrett. And um, so Mr. Steinbrenner was walking and Alex Garrett was, hey, Mr. Steinbrenner, did you, did you see Phil Rizzuto? You know, that's how, that's what he asked. And Steinbrenner just kept walking, you know? And so uh, when we got to the elevator, he said, he turned to me and he says, hey, you remember the little boy with the one leg? I said, yeah, go get him and his family and bring him up to my office. And so then I went back and I brought him upstairs and, um, you know, he was beautiful. You understand? He was, he wasn't that tough guy walking in. He was this beautiful person. And, uh, he got the kid credentials, um, regular employee credentials with full access to the whole park. And for the next 10 years, the kid was always in his office. And sometimes he would be having big meetings and that little boy was sitting right there next to him. You know, it was beautiful, beautiful. And today, and today, that little boy is a man of probably 30 years old now. You know, and uh, he's a, a producer for Joe Piscopo and and some others over at that radio station. Holy crap! Really? Yep, Alex Garrett is his name. You can look it up. Yo, legit. This is this is extremely fascinating, and I I think it's. I mean, for men, like in my case, maybe not knowing so much about George Steinbrenner and only knowing the Yankees as the Yankees, it's like, it's, it's bringing to light more of who he is. And I think it, it's going to start building up a, a, let's say like a conversation into like how much of humanity we should start having. And maybe he can like in some way continue on that legacy of having such human like qualities to continue on because it's I think in the middle of this entire pandemic people may maybe have lost touch 
with kindness or with empathy. <laughs> so it's it, it's more so like this is just reassuring many of us that you know humanity isn't lost and at the same time you know you're you're like this man who's you know under the mentorship of somebody so well known and all of a sudden you like you're like moving on and you're like doing the right thing each and every day. So it's like, for me, that's inspiring because I, in some cases, I actually wanted to ask you this before I move on to the cool questions. And then, you know, I know you have um, many other things to do. So I'm going to try and make this quick, but um, as a, as a Latino, did you feel like in during those times, you know, be being the bad boy for the New York Yankees, did you in some way feel that you were representing the entire Latino community or did you realize the impact that you were having later on in life? It's, that's a great question. Also a very difficult question. And I'm going to tell you why. When, uh, when I joined the Yankees at that time, there really wasn't that many uh, people of color uh, working for the Yankees. You know, and George Steinbrenner had just brought the team that year. And uh, there was a couple of people who treated me, I mean, really, really bad, really ragged. And... Uh, and I, and I remember like watching how everybody else was treated as opposed to how I was treated. And I remember one day, like when this guy really like, uh, he was like a very, you know, he was a, next to Mr. Steinbrenner, he was probably uh, the biggest in charge of the whole facility. And uh, this guy hated the fact that Steinbrenner was doing this for me, okay? He didn't want him to do this. Like he once said, there's nothing that you can do for these people in order to help them. You know what I'm saying? And that was really, that was, that was really sad. But at the same time, you got to remember the era. Well, the era that we were in, which is totally, totally different than the era that we're in today. And, uh, and one day when Steinbrenner was not there, he was in Cleveland doing some business and the guy knew it. So I used to practice with the team and he, that guy really hated that because I was a really good baseball player. And so he went on the field during practice and grabbed me by the, by, you know, by like the sleeve of the, uh, my shirt and dragged me off the field, you know? And then he took me to the visitor's locker room he took me to the visitor's locker room and uh, he made me shine all the shoes. And uh, he, like he said, your people are very good at that. So shine the shoes. And uh, when that happened, you know, I mean, it was just terrible, you know? And, and then one of the coaches, the only black coach on the team saw what was going on and he went 
and got me. And then he got into a shouting match with the guy. And he said, no, he's coming with, with us. He's supposed to be in our locker room, not this locker room. Sorry. You talked to Steinbrenner about that. <clears throat> and so then the following week when Steinbrenner came back, uh, the coach had told Steinbrenner what had happened. So I was called up to Mr. Steinbrenner's office. And he, you know, like first he started giggling and saying, boy, you keep on getting into all sorts of trouble, don't you? You know, and then he said, uh, why do you think that guy did that to you? So I said, because he's a prejudiced MF. And so he looked up in the, you know, and he started thinking and thinking and thinking. And then he looked at me and he said, let me ask you a question. I mean, there's a real fine line between prejudice and jealousy. Do you think that maybe he's just jealous of you? And so I started like laughing and say, how could he be jealous of me when I don't have anything? And then he said, well, he, you do have me as a friend and maybe that makes him jealous. You know, and I just like, you know, like I just accepted it that way. And so later on, I started getting like, uh, you know, like I, I, I got confused. I was confused. You know what I'm saying? I was literally confused because if he's not prejudiced, he's jealous. You know what I'm saying? So that I got confused. And then Billy Martin, like, asked me that I talk to Mr. Steinbrenner. I said, yeah, and tell me what happened. I told him what happened. And then he said, uh, and then I said, I said, damn it, man, why wasn't I born? Why, why wasn't I born white, man? And Billy looked at me and he was like pissed, pissed. And about a couple of days later, he said, we're having dinner tonight, you and my, and he took me to a restaurant and at that restaurant, uh, we sat down with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. No way. And they they had a, a very intense talk with me. They made me cry. Uh, I still get emotional about that. Still, because like Mr. Sinatra said, you know, don't you ever disrespect who you are, what you were born, the color of your skin. You know, he told me that he went through the same thing with Sammy Davis Jr. once because of how he was being treated years back in the 40s. And uh, Frank, I mean, Sammy Davis Jr., believe it or not, was uh, half Puerto Rican. Yeah, that I did hear. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and that was like a comforting thing, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and at the end of the day, like Mr. Sinatra said, at the end of the day, we're all the same. You know, this is all... BS. We're all the same at the end of the day. We just don't get it. We don't understand. I, I feel sorry for people who do what they did to you and this and that, you know, and those are the things that, you know, the in, invaluable lesson because of the people that it came from who I, ex, I expected to be different. And they were, you know, they were incredible. Mr. Sinatra and Billy and 
the boss, Sammy Davis Jr., just incredible, incredible. And and the fact that they treated me like an equal. You know what I'm saying? And and I found that to be fascinating. To this day, I still, because I, I, I'm still insecure from the standpoint sometimes you still, you still meet people who think they're superior. You understand? I still do. I have. I mean, uh, uh, about after Mr. Steinbrenner died, after Mr. Steinbrenner, right after, like right after, and he told me this was going to happen, okay, uh, a guy came up to me and said, remember, he's no longer here and you should know your place. And that was... uh, that was one of the more painful things that I have endured in my whole life. After all of this, because after all of this, I thought that things was cool. And in reality, it was, they're not always cool because part of it had to do with the fact that I was Mr. Steinbrenner's guy. And when uh, he was no longer there, it was the aspect of... Uh, that's it. You know what I'm saying? So that's the story uh, of how that works. Wow. I mean, like, while you were telling the story, um, I I didn't want to make it noticeable, but I did end up tearing up because, you know, as Latinos, we're, we're often, you know, not to get too political or anything because that's besides the point but we're always looked down upon because sometimes either we aren't seen as being skillful or being like we're always have we're always going to have like that negative stereotype or negative connotation of like but, but what you know but here's the thing what role do we play in that okay uh, that and, was like that was like reverse psychology right there. So, uh, and that's and that's important too because if 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 you don't in essence truly believe in the aspect of you, then you know what it doesn't work. You know, and it's just like when the individual said, "Know your place." It was. It, it was like I had. It was like I had given up a little bit. Like I said, "Oh wow, uh, there's no one that I can turn to." I, I, I don't. But you know what? It should have been more so. And I'm learning. I'm still learning that it should have been more so that after all of these years, uh, Mr. Steinbrenner and Billy and Mr. Sinatra had all taught me to be ready for, to pick up the slack on your own. And it was like, that was a lesson. Like I, I, I fell, I fell. And it took me two days to get up from that because for two days I didn't come, I didn't go to work because I was so disappointed and hurt. You know what I'm saying? So for two days I kept away. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, for some for somebody to even have the, the 
for the lack of a, another term, to have the guts to even say that to you. I mean, honestly. But you can't, you, you know what? You, we can't waste time thinking about them because they're just individuals who don't know any better. You know, remember what Jesus said? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You know, and it is Ooh. what it is. Oh, you hit the scripture right there. Uh, it's just, yep. It, no. It is what it is. That's why I don't waste time with that. I, I My time has to go with, like, uh, again, I always go back to a little boy. And, and, I, and I remember this little boy saying, why, why do you love, he said, Mr. Negron, why do you love kids so much? And my response was, because they have not been polluted by the adults yet. That is probably the best answer I've ever heard regarding like children and the innocence of children and not how not to corrupt it and you're absolutely right and I mean for people that know me like I'm I'm Salesian and I go by Don Bosco and like his knowledge of working with the youth and education and honestly I would say that you're one of the modern day Don Bosco's that exists. So maybe that's a little homework for you to check out if you don't know who Don Bosco is. <laughs> but well, uh, well, I'm, I'm taking it as a compliment and that's it. Amen. And um, all right, just to shift gears real fast. Um, here are going to be some, this is going to be like a few questions, but not even questions about the Yankees, just like Ray. This is all Ray. Okay. Uh, so have you ever been told that you look like somebody famous? If so, who was it? Um, all different people. Um, Freddie Prince, Tony Orlando, Michael Jackson at one stage in my life when I had my Afro. Um, uh, one lady once said, oh, you're, you're a Latin Elvis Presley. I took that as a supreme compliment again, when I was younger, um, just a lot of different people. Okay. Here's my next, this is a follow-up question. When is Elvis's birthday? Uh, on the 8th, January 8th. Ah, you remembered, you remembered. <laughs> Okay, so here's the next question. If a movie was made about your life, mm -hmm. what genre would it be? And who do you think should play your role? Um, I don't know who should play my role. I, I, I just don't know. I, I've been thinking about that for a long time because there, there are uh, works going on right now as far as doing that film. But I don't know who... Yeah, I'm just leaving that up to the professionals to decide who will do that. And uh, I just want uh, I just want the story to be told from the standpoint of the way I told it to you today, you know, but with uh, the aspect of family and the aspect of just being honest and telling the truth and, and down down and dirty, 
you know, down and dirty. I want the blood, the sweat, and the tears. I guess that question's been answered. <laughs> um, okay, so what's a fact about you that nobody would ever guess? Uh, that I can be extremely shy. Okay, now I started laughing. <laughs> wow, okay. Okay, I would actually believe that. Um, what is the scariest fear that you've ever conquered? Um, uh, life without George Steinbrenner and the Yankees. I respect that. My respects. Um, if you had to create a slogan for your life, what would it be? It's already been created. One day at a time. Nice. Nice. Very profound. <laughs> and lastly, let's see. I have like a whole bunch of questions here, but I know I, I'm going to narrow it down so we can really get to know who Ray Negron is. Um, what are your top three favorite songs ever and why? Uh, Alone Again Naturally by Gilbert O'Sullivan. And that was because, uh, well, it was that when that song came out, that was the number one song in the world. And I'll never forget that this guy, Gilbert O'Sullivan, uh, was on the Dean Martin show, which was a very popular show at the time. And uh, Dean Martin introduced him this way. With, uh, and with the number one song in the world, Gilbert O'Sullivan. And I said, wow, could you imagine? And that was his first hit, you know? So I thought that was unbelievable. That's, uh, that's number one. Um, Number two and number three would be really, really hard. Uh, because probably Frank Sinatra's It Was a Very Good Year would have to be number two. You know, because it starts when I was 17, which was when I started with the Yankees was at 17. When I was 21, we won our first world championship. Uh, when I was 35, it was a big year for me and, and, and the Yankees and the fact that we won the World Series after a long time. And I, and I actually got to sign Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden for the Yankees, even though many people were saying, no, no, these guys are drug addicts and alcoholics and womanizers and all that stuff. And Mr. Steinbrenner believed in me enough that he uh, signed both of them and we won the World Series that year. And then one day he calls me into his office. And so when I walked in, he threw me this box and I opened up the box and it was, uh, where is it? And it was, when I opened up the box, it was my World Series ring. See it there? Oh and my God. And so when I opened it up, I was like, you know, like, 
I start, I looked at him, I looked at the ring and the tears came down my, and so then all of a sudden he started crying. He said, get the F out of here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's why that song would be number two. Uh, and number three is a lot of different songs, including Neil Diamond's Story of My Life. You ever hear that song? Uh, honestly, no. You got to listen to it. The Story of My Life by Neil Diamond. And Neil Diamond was a very favorite of Thurman Munson, and he never got to hear that song. But uh, that, that would probably be number three. And then a bunch of Frankie Valley songs would be four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, one, two, fifteen. <laughs> I I'm sure he like everyone knows that now. <laughs> so um I actually have just come up with this question. So um once this as this whole pandemic is like, you know, slowly you know, making us go back to normalcy, but not even normalcy at its finest. But um, if, let's say you decided to go out to a concert, what concert would be the first concert you would run to? After? In the Four Seasons, come on. <laughs> okay, okay. Not gonna lie, that I, I really admire that guy. Honestly, this has been such a great interview, and honestly, a true honor for me to like be able to interview you. Um, for our audience that will listen to this, probably, um, I'm gonna air this out probably tomorrow. So by the time that they hear it, and where on social media can our viewers find you uh if that is if you want to be found <laughs> yeah i'm on uh instagram ray negron yanks you know ray negron yanks awesome and um that's right you also have a a program that you have like on monday nights correct Every I'm on Reach Out with Ray and Steve at 7 p.m. on uh, YouTube and Optimum Cable and uh, uh, Facebook Live, and that's it. Awesome. So um, what can viewers expect from that show? Sports, entertainment, and community. And uh, it's the aspect. I always have wonderful, wonderful guests. I have to start gearing more towards the younger but I, it's just that, you know, I mean, I, I love talking about the golden age of Hollywood. Like I have uh, this past Monday, I had Jerry Schilling on, who was uh, Elvis Presley's right hand man. So it was fun talking about Elvis. You know, uh, next week I have on uh, um, Gary Coop. Uh, if anybody, one of the greatest movie stars of all time was a guy by the name of Gary Cooper who did the movie The Pride of the Yankees, <clears throat> and he did the movie High Noon, which was one of the all-time greatest Westerns ever. Oh, and, trust me, I know who Gary Cooper is. Okay, and his daughter, Maria Cooper Janice, is going to be on my show next week 
Her husband is Byron Janice, who's one of the all-time great classical pianists, performers, etc. You know, so I'm really excited about that because I so idolized Gary Cooper, you know, and the way he played Lou Gehrig and just every movie that he ever did, I loved. And I loved him, the man, and what he represented and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if there was one movie star that I would want to be like, it would be Gary Cooper. Wow, that is so awesome. Like, honestly, maybe some other time we can, like, have another interview and discuss the golden age of Hollywood. Because my favorite actor, I would say, is Humphrey Bogart. Like, I just completely loved the way he acted in Casablanca and, you know, the Maltese Falcon. And, you know, I'm not about to, like, um, spew my entire, like, film um, knowledge but I do have a minor in film. So, you know, I, I did study all of this, but, uh, <laughs> but again, Ray, it's such a pleasure. And thank you so much for agreeing to doing this. I said it was fun. It was nice. And you didn't take any cheap shots. It was good. Of course I have to be respectable. <laughs> like this is a podcast. We can't like, you know, um, you know, I'm painting you to be this person who's like an incredible mentor, incredible friend. Um, honestly, like I say in my introduction, I, I feel immensely honored that I can call you my friend. And, you know, to have your mentorship and also like understand how to really navigate through life is very very gratifying and very comforting because sometimes um, sometimes we lack that uh, mentorship. And I mean, in my case, sometimes I don't know who to recur to, especially like when my, my loved one, my brother is, isn't here with me. Like I know that I have to keep moving and that's something that I've learned from you. So again, thank you. And what's, what's one thing that you can leave our audience thinking about in terms of like anything like a life advice? Just live life one day at a time. Simple as that. Enjoy today because, you know, we don't know about tomorrow and we don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. I mean, this week uh, has been sort of difficult for me because it was a guy in the Bronx. His name is Tony Melendez. If you look into my, on my, uh, my Instagram. I mean, this is a guy who helped so many kids for so long. And on Sunday, he just didn't wake up. And um, this is a guy who, uh, as a as a youngster, was a wonderful dancer, great dancer and great baseball player. So he was going to do one or the other. And one day at a club, he, uh, this girl, you know, started hitting on him. And so he hit back. And then the girl's boyfriend didn't like what was going on. So he met up with him afterwards and shot him seven times. And he thought that he had killed him. And Tony Melendez came back stronger than ever, with the exception that he was on a wheelchair. And for the rest of his life, what he did was he mentored children 
and got him on Little League and baseball and all that kind of stuff. And I was blessed to have been able to know him and help him sometimes. And, uh, and like I said, he died Monday. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very sad and, uh, and I'm, I'm not sad for him. I'm sad for the children that are going to miss him, you know? So, so enjoy today. Enjoy the fact that you do have a friend here or there or this and that, like you're my friend, you know what I'm saying? And I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you. You are the best. Thank you, darling.